You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I want to say a special welcome to the West Side Church. Uh, we hope that you have enjoyed the service so far. You know, we're super grateful that you guys get to join us today. Uh, my name is Justin Shump. And I help serve in the college ministry here uh, in the West Side Church and also in the teen ministry. So I get to work with a bunch of young people. Uh, it's, it's a super amazing job. I love getting to interact with people. Uh, we've just started kind of meeting more in person as the COVID restrictions lighten up. And that's been super encouraging to see more faces in person. Uh, and although we're still together online, uh, we feel your love through the camera. So we're really excited you guys get to be here. We're actually uh, kicking off a three-part series titled Insight. And we're going to be looking at Jesus' interactions with uh, different blind people in the Bible. Uh, Obviously, Jesus was an amazing healer, and he healed several people of their blindness. And so we're going to be looking at those stories in the next few weeks uh, and really diving in and seeing what we can learn uh, from them. So the title of my sermon today uh, is simply titled, Simple. Uh, It's funny, back in in early or late 2019, early 2020, my then-girlfriend, uh, this is before my wife and I were engaged and married. Uh, she asked me, she said, Justin, what is your word for 2020? Uh, and I simply responded, I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, she said, well, you know, you have to have like, you have to have a word for the year. Uh, and I had never chosen a word for a year before. Um, and so she told me her word was joy. Uh, and I decided my word would be simple. So that was my word for 2020 was simple. Uh, It was kind of ironic because that was probably the most complicated uh, year that I have ever lived and many of you have lived through, Um, so maybe you can get a a good chuckle out of that. Uh, But my sermon title for today uh, is titled Simple, and we're going to be reading out of John chapter 9, looking at Jesus' interaction with a man who was born blind. Uh, So this is what the Bible reads in John chapter 9. It says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and and washed, and he came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him uh, begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. But others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself said, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told them then to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed. And then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. I do not know, he said. We'll continue on in verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. 
Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who, who, who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him, for he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. It continues, it says the second time they summoned the man who had been blind, give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know that this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. Then he asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? I love that line. I love the sarcasm there. Said that they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. Throwing in more sarcasm there. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And it says that they threw him out. You know, I know we just read a lot, and, and, and it's an incredible story. I love this story. There's so much deep theology inside this story. There's so much sarcasm. I'm naturally a very sarcastic person, and it can get me in trouble a lot. But I love kind of seeing the sarcasm that this man has in the Bible, saying, what, do you, you want to know so much about Jesus? Do you want to be his disciple too? Uh, I, just, I just love it. This is one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. And we're going to kind of go through and we're going to unpack this story a little bit. And again, the title of my sermon is simple. You see, Jesus and his disciples, they're, they're walking along and they come upon this man who's born blind. And right away, his, his disciples, they ask this deep theological question. 
they see they say who sinned this man or his parents that he be born blind you see at this time it was believed that if you had a physical ailment if you had uh, some type of deformity that it must be punishment for something that you did whether it was you or someone directly in your bloodline you know nowadays we would call this karma right if you if you do something good then good will happen back or if you do something bad if you sin then you'll be punished and something bad will happen to you. And so they must have believed that he must have done something really bad for him to be born blind. You know, in their minds, in the disciples' minds, there was only two possible ways for this man to be born blind. Either he sinned or his parents sinned. And they asked Jesus this question, and Jesus responds, Neither. He says, but this happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. You see this man, when the disciples looked at him, they they saw sin. They saw ailment. They saw punishment. But when Jesus looked at him, he saw hope. He saw redemption. He saw an opportunity for healing, an opportunity to show the glory of God. An opportunity for the works of God to be displayed in someone. You know, his disciples could have asked, what what can we do to help this man? How can we heal him? But instead, the question they asked is what caused his condition. And I don't think it's necessarily wrong to to ask that question or or to engage in in, in a theological discussion like that. But I think that's probably the question you want to ask after someone is healed. You know, this man is is in front of you and, and he's blind and he's begging. And the disciples' first thought wasn't to let's help, let's heal. It was to start a debate to ask a theological question. You know, the healing was not the priority. But to Jesus, it was. To Jesus, healing this man was the most important thing. You know, the disciples saw an opportunity for a debate. Jesus saw a person in need. And Jesus tells them, he says, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. You know, I think it's really interesting. We won't, we won't go off into a long tangent, but I think it's interesting that Jesus is using this analogy of, of night and day and that you have to work during the day. You couldn't work at night. But this man was born blind, and so to him it didn't matter. Night and day, there was no difference. Again, total long tangent, but, but there's so many cool analogies and so much deeper spiritual meaning we can really soak out of this passage. You know, there was this deep theological question at hand. Who was the one who sinned? Was it his parents, or was it him? And Jesus had two options. Start a debate. He could have asked his disciples, right? Well, what do you think? 
do you think a parent could sin and have their son or daughter born blind? Or, or do you, they could have started this discussion, right? Or he could have reached out and healed him. You know, Jesus did not disregard the issue by not engaging in a debate. He said, look, my time here is limited. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, look, my days are numbered. My time on this earth is not infinite. It's limited. You see, this person was more important than the policy. This person was more important than the controversy, than the debate. Jesus knew his time was limited. And he decided to use that time to heal the man. You know, all of us, we know so many people who are in need. Maybe they're people close to us. Maybe they're people we see. Yet often in this world, we spend so much time debating the methods of how we should help. We spend so much time debating what caused the problem. Why are people in this scenario? That there often isn't actually enough time left to help the individual. You know, often in church when someone is, is going through something or, or, or they're struggling or they're having a, a rough patch in life, it's easy for us to try and try and kind of psychoanalyze and, and, and try and accurately discern the deeper issues going on. And I find myself doing this all the time. I can kind of make up these scenarios to try and figure out why is this person going through this and why this happened 10 years ago, this, this, that. And I, I can try and piece it together. And I know a lot of times all that person needs is just some love. They just need some healing. They don't need me to try and solve the deeper problems of the world or, or, or psychoanalyze them or try and be their therapist or figure them out. I'm not qualified for that. They just need some love. You know, it doesn't really matter how they got here in that moment. What matters is they need healing. And when you start with that, when you start with love, when you start with healing, it often reveals the deeper stuff. You know, as we had our last uh, midweek, we've set forth uh, this new motto for the church, which is belong, believe, become. That we want people to come to the church as they are. You don't have to do any work. You can just show up. You can be here. You can belong. And over time, we hope that you see the love and you see the gospel and you start to believe for yourself. And after you believe, you can become a true follower of Christ. You can be a part of God's family. But you don't have to have everything figured out when you come. You can come and find love. You can come and be healed. Because time is of the essence. You know, Jesus heals this man, right? He, he spits on the ground and he, and he makes this clay and, and he puts it on the man's eyes. It's this crazy scene. It's, it's, it's kind of out of the ordinary. And this man goes back into his community and his neighbors are shocked. They can't believe their eyes. 
because they knew this man his whole life as the blind beggar, as the person who was born blind, but now he can see. Now he's walking and he's not feeling and, and, and he can walk in a straight line and he can engage with people and they're shocked. And so they say, look, this can't be the same guy. This has to be someone different. This guy's got a doppelganger. This can't be the truth. But he says, no, I am the man. It's me. And so they bring him to the Pharisees, the religious rulers, the one who make the laws. And the Pharisees start questioning him. And they put this strong emphasis on how Jesus healed. And so we have to ask ourselves, why were they extra offended by this mud? Because they seem that when they ask him, that's when they get upset. They find out that Jesus had, had spit on the ground and, and made this clay, made this mud, and, and he healed him. And, and, and they're super upset about that. And so maybe think, you know, maybe it's just because it was kind of gross, right? He was spitting on the ground. I know at our midweek this past week, for those who there, Steve spit in the cup and everyone was grossed out. Because uh, spit is pretty gross, right? So for Jesus to just spit on the ground and to make some mud and then rub it on some person's face, it seems a bit disrespectful. Maybe that's why the Pharisees were upset. You see, the day that Jesus healed this man, it, it was a Sabbath. And, and a Sabbath is a day where the Jews were supposed to rest from doing any work. Uh, they weren't supposed to toil. They weren't supposed to labor. And so they already knew that this man had been healed on the Sabbath. And they would have been offended by that. But they were extra offended by the way Jesus healed him. It's interesting. You see, the Jews, they had this list of 39 melakah which outlined 30, 39 different types of work that was forbidden on the Sabbath. Things like planting and, and, and gathering or sorting and sowing. And on the list of these 39 melaka is this act called losh, L-O-S-H. And what losh is, is it's combining particles into a semi-solid or a solid mass via liquid. So the kind of English term would be amalgamation, right? That's a fun word to say, amalgamation, uh, which is combining solid and liquid together to form a paste or, or a dough-like substance. And this was forbidden on the Sabbath. This is one of the 39 things listed. You can't make this dough. You can't mix solid and liquid. But here's what's really interesting. There's four different types of loche. There's blila ava. I'm going to butcher some of these names. There's Number one is blila ava, which is a thick, dense mixture. And then there's blila raha, which is a thinner pourable mixture, so kind of like like a like a salad dressing, like a thick ranch dressing. There's davar nozel, which is a pourable liquid with similar viscosity to water, and so that would maybe be like Kool Aid if you mix some Kool Aid and pour that out. Uh, and then there was a, a fourth one, which is if you took large pieces mixed with a liquid. So think of like cereal. The only one that was officially forbidden on the Sabbath was the first one, making a thick, dense mixture. And so if Jesus would have filled a cup and put some dirt in there and poured it, that technically would have been fine. If Jesus would have had large chunks of, of clay and put some water, that would have been fine. But Jesus specifically chose 
the one type of losh that is forbidden. You know, you read all throughout the Bible, Jesus healed tons of people, and he actually healed on the Sabbath. When he did it, he only did it by reaching out and touching people. He had never done anything like this. I mean, he went out of his way to break the Sabbath rules. He didn't only break the Sabbath by healing, but also by how he healed. I mean, picture picture if you're a Pharisee and you hear this. I mean, the disrespect, the scandal, the controversy. Not only is man going to heal on the Sabbath, he's going to make this loche. He's going to perform work. You start to understand why they were so upset, why they were so offended, why they thought if this man who was blind was a follower of Jesus, he must be a sinner. You know, it's crazy when you really think about it. So why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus go out of his way to offend them? You know, I believe it's the same message Jesus kept trying to get across over and over and over. And that's that people are more important than policy. People are more important than policy. Now, that doesn't mean you just get rid of all policy, right? That doesn't mean we just throw out all the commands and and just do whatever we want. You know, the Sabbath, it was a gift from God. It was an amazing thing. But Jesus knew that his time was limited. He wasn't going to waste his time just constantly debating the religious rulers. Because he was on a mission to heal as many people as possible. And he wanted the rulers to know that these small rules they had created, down to the minute detail, didn't matter. What mattered was healing people. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we on this same mission? Do we feel this same urgency? You know, this past year felt like it was filled with endless debate uh, on social issues, economic issues, religious issues. You know, it feels like you really can't go five minutes without encountering some type of controversy. And, you know, most of these debates that we have in in the church and in society, they're trying to fix problems with people. They're trying to help people. You know, how should we help the underprivileged, the poor, the homeless, the migrants in this country? What should we do? What should be the policy? How should we address racial inequality? How should the church be more inclusive? Yet at times we spend so much energy and time debating and arguing and trying to make our opinions heard. And I think often we spend so much time doing that, that there isn't enough time left over to actually help people. I mean, think about, think about the hours over the past year that have been spent debating, whether it's in person over Zoom, 
the hours on Facebook, the hours on Instagram. Think about all of the hours that people have spent debating with one another. Thinking, oh, I know what I'm going to say. I'm going to get them. Just think about that. Now imagine if people had gone the same amount of hours helping someone. Serving their community. Mentoring a young person in need. Helping those who are struggling. You know, I'll be the first one to admit, I am lacking severely in this area. It's easy for me to spend my days thinking about the controversial issues and and my opinions to it. And if anyone were, were to ever ask me, oh, I would have the perfect thing to say. Okay, what if I took the amount of time that I spend in my head trying to win fabricated arguments and I actually spent that time helping people? Imagine the impact I could have if I cared a little bit less about policy and more about people. You know, I really believe we've got to make things more simple. And I'm so guilty of constantly overcomplicating things. Uh, I tend to be a bit OCD. Uh, I can overanalyze things a lot. In my mind, it can cause a lot of stress and, and a lot of anxiety. But you look at this man in the story, and he had such a simple faith. And he had a simple evangelism. I mean, he goes home to his town, and people see that there's a difference. And he's like, I don't even know what happened. All I know is this guy Jesus healed me, and it's amazing, and it's awesome. I mean, that's all his evangelism was. You know, I can so overcomplicate trying to share the gospel with people. I can think that I have to have these these deep philosophical uh, arguments ready or theological arguments or ready to go at people. Instead of just walking around and saying, look, I've been healed. Jesus is amazing. Do you want that? Do you want to experience healing? I can so overcomplicate sharing the gospel. You know, the Pharisees, they, they drill him with these complex questions. And, and I doubt that this man who was born blind, I doubt he knew all the Sabbath laws. I doubt he fully understood the complex political and, and religious tensions of the time. I mean, he's a blind beggar. All he cares about is getting his basic needs met. He just needs some food. That's all that matters to him. He lived a simple life. And after drilling him with all these questions, and he gives these sarcastic answers, and I love it, I love his sarcasm, he simply ends off and says, one thing I know. The only thing I know. I was blind, and now I can see. To this man, it was so simple. He had no interest engaging in this theological debate with the Pharisees. And I read this and I can feel jealous of this man. And, and, and I see different people in my life who have a very simple faith, a very simple reliance on God. And I can feel super jealous because naturally I don't feel that way. I never really felt like I experienced this miraculous healing. 
because I, I grew up in the church. I mean, the Bible was, was regularly read in our home, and I was at church three to four times a week, hearing the scriptures read, learning about Jesus from my infancy, learning what it means to be a good, good person and, and to not sin and, and, and to live righteously. And at a very young age, I, I gave my life to Christ. I decided to follow Jesus. But I, I was not like this blind man. I don't think people were shocked by how different I was. I don't think people were like, oh my gosh, Justin is a, a completely different person. I mean, my parents would probably say, hey, he's been a little more respectful in the home. He's been nicer to his sister. And, you know, there's probably some small nuances. But the problem was I knew how to, quote unquote, be a good person. I knew how to fake it. I knew how to say all the right answers. And so I didn't necessarily feel this miraculous healing. I didn't feel like my life was just in shambles before I got baptized, before I fall, decided to follow Jesus. Because my, my family was, was a great unit, and they were great disciples, and, and, and they taught me what it meant to be a Christian. And although in no way do I doubt my salvation or, or doubt the commitment I made, what I do lack, and I know that I lack, is a deep emotional gratitude for spiritual healing. And I can feel so insecure that I lack that. You know, I was talking to uh, one of the guys in the college ministry here. Uh, his name's Vincent, and he was a part of the Bakersfield ministry. He was uh, going to college up there. Um, and him and uh, Jack Walker, two of the new guys, they moved down, and they're both going to uh, Santa Monica College right now. And they moved into an apartment. They're living with uh, Albert and Mark and a few of the other campus guys. Um, and it's been so great having them. And so I was, I was getting dinner with Vincent yesterday. And uh, he was celebrating his one year of being a Christian. Exactly a year ago, he had decided to commit his life to Christ. And, and he gave his life and he decided to follow Jesus. And he was just sharing that over the past week, he had been really reflecting on his life before he knew Christ and, and his life after. And he was even looking at pictures and looking at pictures of, of you know, before he became a Christian, and he's smiling in these pictures, and he appears to be happy, but he's telling me that behind that smile, he was in pain, and he was deeply hurting. And then he showed me a picture of him with a bunch of uh, the other campus students. They had gone up to Pepperdine for the day, and he's smiling, and he said, Justin, I am genuinely happy. These people in this picture, they're genuine friendships. I've never experienced that before. I've only experienced toxic relationship. I've only experienced heartbreak. I've never experienced genuine friends. And he was sharing that, that he was just overcome with emotion. That he, he just started crying. He was so grateful. He was so grateful for the healing in his life. He was so grateful for the new relationships that God had given him. He finally felt happy. And he was so overcome with gratitude, he was moved to tears. And I hate to admit it, but I've never really experienced that. I've experienced moments of gratitude, and obviously I'm a much more kind of rational person. 
but I've never felt this moment where I was so overcome by Christ, so overcome by my healing that I was moved to tears. And I can struggle with whether that's something wrong with me. I can struggle with maybe just, you know, people are different. And I know I have this deep faith and, and, and this gratitude and I love the scriptures and I love Jesus, but I don't necessarily have this deep emotional gratitude for healing. <clears throat> and I know that I am not the only one. I know there's an entire generation of young people who have grown up in the church and they feel the same way. From a young age, they were taught about sin. They were told the right thing to do. They knew how to say the right answers. Many of them studied the Bible and they felt like they had to fake this emotion of brokenness and fake this emotion of gratitude in order to become a Christian. And for so many people, becoming a Christian was not about experiencing healing. It was about joining the club. And you see, there's this strong divide right now between the young generation and the old. And we're faced with so many complex social and, and biblical issues right now. And the young people are questioning a lot, and, and they're deconstructing, and they're diving deep. And so they look at the church, and they don't necessarily see a place of healing. They look at the church, and they see the flawed institution. But the older people don't seem to feel this way. And they seem to not really understand it. Because they grew up in a world uh, that was totally different than the church that they got to know. You know, a lot of them had a very similar experience to the blind man. They were blind in their sin. And then their lives were radically changed. And, and they got to know Christ. And it was so much different than anything they had experienced. And, and, and maybe people similar, where people didn't even recognize them. They were so different. They changed so radically that their friends, their family didn't even recognize them. You must be a completely different person. But for so many young people, especially us who grew up in the church, we don't necessarily feel that. And so we, as the young people, can become the Pharisees. We become critical of those with simple faith. We become critical of those who have this deep, unshakable love for the church. I mean, can't you see the flaws? Can't you see the toxic cultures? How could you be so blind? We need to educate them. The, the old generation, they need to get educated. We need to fix them. We get so upset when others don't want to engage in controversy. And we can start to view the older people, the older Christians, as the ones who are blind. And we feel like it is our responsibility as the young people to help them see. 
And although there may be blind spots, and that is true, and, and the old need the young and the young need the old, I'm not saying these things aren't good, but I think the problem is when there's millions and millions of young people in our generation around us who are so lost, but we don't see them. And we become like the disciples, surrounded by people who need healing, but we end up asking the wrong question. We want to engage in theological debate. We focus too much on the policy and not on the people. And obviously it's not a bad thing to try and amend policy. It's not a bad thing to try and enact change or to ask theological questions. Please don't walk away thinking that's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that those things can't come before helping people in need. You see, our time on this earth is limited. And there are so many people in need. There are so many people who need healing. They need to see our simple faith. They need to see our simple gratitude. They need to see our simple evangelism because that is what people are looking for not a church that takes all the right stances not a church that has all of our theologically figured out a church where someone can come and experience healing that is what Jesus focused on that is our call I love you guys so much. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed this passage. It's one of my favorites in the whole Bible. I encourage you to dig into it. I know we read a lot. There's so much there. Soak it up for all that it's worth. We'll see you guys next week. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.